Welcome to the Entrepreneur's MBA, bringing you lessons from real-life entrepreneurs they don't teach in business school. Here's your host, business coach and marketing strategist, Adam Kipnis. Whether you're listening to us today in the midst of the corona crisis or whether you remember the corona crisis, what we're going to talk about today is still going to be important. It is important today. It'll be important tomorrow. And that's talking about profit. Profit in a business must come first. And that's the title of this show. And that's what we're really going to dig into. It's really easy to manage your expenses. It's really easy to think about revenue but you can have a lot of revenue and go out of business as we might see shortly with Boeing, right? They got a lot of revenue, not a lot of profit. That hurts their business. This is Adam Kipnis, host of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. I appreciate you listening today and I appreciate C-Suite Radio for uh, the platform they give me to host this show. My guest today has a really great story, interesting background, uh, came to America at the age of three, entrepreneurial spirit as a kid, uh, corporate career, and now helps people understand and benefit from his Profit First strategy. Rocky Lalvani, thanks for being with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me here today, Adam. I'm excited for the conversation. I am too, because what we're going to talk about is critical for people listening today, but it's an important tactic of business overall. But I want to start with a little bit more of your journey. Your, your parents brought you over here at the age of three. I don't, don't think that's going to be a big part of our conversation and your memories from there, but you had a little bit of an entrepreneurial journey as a kid before you went on a more traditional corporate path. Tell us about sort of those first formative businesses and ideas that you had going to make a few extra bucks as a kid. So I grew up um, as an immigrant, like you said, and when my parents came here, they had $25 in their pocket because that's all they were allowed to start with. So we started at kind of the bottom of the economic ladder, but they quickly built up financial success. And one of the things that was, I guess, different that I, I never realized till much later in life was that when they were here, they would hang out with their friends and they would talk about money and business and how they were succeeding and making their way forward in the, the American way of life. So money conversations were natural. And I saw people very quickly go from very little money to economic success. And so I always kind of had that desire as a kid. I just had a, I don't know where it came from, but my goal was to become a millionaire. And even at an early age, I wanted money because I wanted to do things and I wanted to have the things that money could buy us. And I'll tell you, you know, we can even talk about that part of the journey of, of chasing the wrong thing, which was money just for the sake of having money. But yeah, I think my, one of my first things I had was a paper route. And it's unfortunate they don't have paper routes today because it really taught me customer service. Most of our money that we made was in tips. So you would go around and you would collect once a week. And depending on how you treated the customer was how big a tip you got. And so when I was a kid, people would tell you what they wanted. People were very direct. They're like, put my uh, paper in the mailbox. Put my paper here. Don't ride your bicycle across my, my lawn. And so I just did what they said. I listened to the customer 
And for those people who wanted to paper at the door, I would put it at the door. And for most people, I would put it at the door because I know what a pain it is to walk to the end of the driveway. Now, this was probably the late 70s, and I was making 50 bucks as a 13-year-old. So that's like, what, a few hundred dollars today? So I was always loaded with cash, (laughs) and I always wanted cash. So compared to everyone around me, I was living the good life. And then I also started, I grew up just outside of New York, and this was kind of the time of change. So everything was becoming digital. So you were getting these little pocket-sized calculators. Um, We were still using cassette tapes, but things were expensive, not like they are today where where everything is, is the cheapest you could. And I would go into New York and I would, because I had all this money, I would buy stuff for myself. And then people started asking me, hey, where did you get that? Can I get that? And so then I started going into New York, buying the stuff wholesale, bringing it back, marking it up 100% and selling it to kids and teachers around me. And so I was just bringing in tons of money as a a high school student. Unfortunately, I blew it all, but that's another story. (laughs) Maybe we'll get to that part of it. So before we get to, to, because as a high school student, wholesale versus retail, I want to ask you a question about that, but I want to ask a prior question that you mentioned that um, you had conversations about finances and investing as money and money as a, as a kid, that was part of your family dynamic in for most American families. That's a taboo subject. It is not something talked about at the breakfast table or the dinner table. And a lot of kids end up uh, credit card debt and uh, financial problems, not understanding money, certainly not understanding the markets. And even today when they're older, probably freaked out more about what's going on because they never actually investigated it. Do you think that was something? um, And I guess another thing is immigrants are four times as likely to become millionaires than natural born American citizens. So a multi-part question, but where did um, your background, family, um, immigration status, how did that all fit together when you look back on it? So why was this a big part of your family? I, I think it was just natural to the area that we came from. So my parents at the end of World War II had they became refugees. They got pushed out of the area that they lived in Northern India and they had to relocate. For whatever reason, that area just was very, you either were of a highly regarded professional or you were an entrepreneur and the two classes mixed. So we just had, it's like, it's literally in our genes. That's the best way I can explain <laughs> it to you. It was just the culture of that community. And so when they came to the United States, they had already started life over once again in their, most of them were probably around 20 the first time they started life over. Here they are coming back to the United States around 40, starting life over again. I guess they just knew the principles and they wanted to, they just talked. And we kids were forced to listen. We didn't have iPads, you know, we had to sit in the room and kind of be at our parents' feet to entertain ourselves. They didn't shove us out of the room. So the, we kind of learned by listening as an osmosis. And so that's what, we just were in those situations that I never realized how unique that was probably until about 10 years ago, because I just assumed everyone grew up like this because that was my world. That was my bubble, right? 
Right. And so it doesn't sound like it was intentional on your parents' part that they said, hey, we want you to learn these, these traits, these, this knowledge base, this um, important part of life. It was what they talked about and you were there rather than them sitting you down saying, hey, you need to know this because it'll make you more successful. Well, I think they, they were intentional in that they, they wanted us to hear it. Um, and so that's why those opportunities presented, like they would tell us the stories afterwards. They would be like, oh, you know, we were having this conversation and this is what's going on. So you would, you would get the story again that you might have missed or parts of it. And they were intentional about teaching us about money. And they were intentional in the way that they shopped and they would talk like when we were kids, because we didn't, we didn't spend a lot. Like they were like, you can live a Royal life on a pauper's budget. So we were taught those principles. We were taught to save. We were taught that debt is not something you want to do. So we did get those lessons directly and indirectly, but we, we saw the actions that followed the words, which is what's more important. I think. Yeah, agreed. And but but you had a little slip up. So so you go to high, you're in high school, and you're making a lot of cash. And um, so one, I want to learn about how did you figure out how to buy wholesale? Like you were paying retail for the stuff that you were buying personally for yourself that other kids wanted. How did you make the mental transition and the negotiated transition to, you know, buy wholesale so you could market up and make a profit? I, I think one of the things that happened was we would always go places. And so New York was close. We'd go to New York and I always see opportunities. And I saw it, it was just, I think it was almost accidental in that I would be in New York. I would see these people selling stuff for cheap. And I saw people asking me stuff for something. And I, I just used a simple formula, like double the price and see what happens. And people were willing to pay. And so I think I was just shocked. I, I don't, it wasn't like I was this genius. <laughs> I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And part of it, I think, was because I had this desire to build. I wanted to be rich. I wanted money because I thought money bought happiness. And that's not true, but that's what my mindset was. I, that's what I was taught the American dream is go after the almighty buck. And so I think that's why it just, it, it was the right place at the right time. Interesting. And, and so you, so you made some money, then you went a more traditional path. You did go to college. You, you got a corporate job, um, but the entrepreneurial spirit uh, or, or that piece within you, maybe it was the making money piece. Is there, are there other ways I can make money in addition to my job? But you always had other businesses and worked independently as well as your corporate job. Tell us about that experience as well. So I got out of college. Um, I didn't want to go to college. I was kind of told you had to go to college. And so I went, um, I had had enough of education by that point. And but, but I did what I was told, right? So I get out, I'm like, what kind of job? And I didn't have great grades, by the way. I, d I did horrible in college because I didn't want to be there. And I thought the professors were stupid telling me boring stuff out of books. Um, but I get out and I get a job. And, you know, the enemy of great is good. And life started to be good. So I got into sales because that was the kind of job you could get when you didn't have the greatest of grades. And I was successful in sales. And I think I was successful in sales because I listened to what customers wanted. It goes back to the paper route. And 
I brought them solutions to their problems. And so I got successful in sales and I quickly moved up the ladder. I was willing to do the work, show up, constantly put the extra effort in. And so very early on, I was making great money. And so life was good. I mean, I, I, I was still living at home, so I was saving money. And so cash flow was so phenomenal that why, why do more? Or, and that was part of it. And the other part of it is I never understood scaling. Like I couldn't understand, I, that concept was foreign to me and how powerful scaling was and how if I just put some effort into that, that I could have had tremendously more success. The other thing is I was still living in a bubble. I kept thinking, why would anyone pay for this? Because I'm like, you can get this stuff for a fraction of the price. So I couldn't understand that whole value pricing model. I'm like, I would never pay for that. Why would somebody else pay for that? And so it was me being in the wrong mindsets and the wrong bubbles. And, and that had to kind of change. But I had a great corporate life. I, di I didn't, I was working out of the house. So I didn't have a boss on top of my head. Um, for most of my career, I had a free car, a free cell phone, a free computer and freedom. So life was phenomenal for as long as it was. And <laughs> I enjoyed that, right? The one thing though, I spent my time then learning, like I kept, always at the edge of this entrepreneurial thing. It's like, what can I do to make money? How can I build a business? How do I do this? And I really struggled to get started. It was, it was, it's like exercise for me. You know, I don't understand what all these muscles mean. Just tell me what to do and I'll go do it. And I needed someone, I think, to just tell me what to do. I made it too big of a problem. And so it was hard to get started. And I think that's true for most people, right? The hardest thing is getting started. Once you get started, things start to work themselves out. But until you get started, it's the struggle of what, what do I do? What do I do? And that analysis paralysis forever. Oh, I bet. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening right now that are in that same situation that they, they might have a business. They've got a name. They've got a desk. They've got business cards and a website. But they sit at their desks and they, and they don't know what to do. Like they're started, and I just used air quotes for people just listening and not seeing the video, in, but they're not actually doing. So what was the kickstart for you? What was the thing that finally fired you forward that led you to leaving corporate and now having the success that you're having running your own business and helping your clients make more money and do better? So I think that's a twofold story. Uh, while I was in college, I was also selling real estate. So I was doing that, then I got out and I stopped and I didn't do anything with real estate for probably 20 something years. And it was during the last economic downturn, which was 2008, 2009, getting hammered in the stock market that real estate became cheap. And I finally had the courage to go get into the real estate business. So by starting a real estate business, I think that started to give me a certain sense of courage to be able to see how businesses operate, to get my feet wet, we were learning to flip houses. I was learning to let go and trust other people to do the work and realizing that I needed to build a team around me to be successful and to allow that team to just kind of go do their thing and, and step out of the way. So I think that was part of it. The second thing is I'm 54 now. I knew that the industry I was in was declining. So I knew at some point I was going to have to do something. And this was also... I started learning a lot. And one of the things I found out 
was this whole issue, what you talked about, is that we have taboo around money. And so I started out, and I started with Dave Ramsey, and I, I went down, took a coaching program from Dave Ramsey, how to be a coach, quickly found out that's not what I wanted to do. That's not the client that I best served. And then it just, it, from there, it continued to snowball until the last pivot, which was when I learned, and it was the massive aha for me, that business owners don't look at their financial reports. I'm like, how do you run a business and not understand the business of business? How do you not look at your profit and loss? And that was just shocking to me. And that became the final pivot where I was like, oh my God, it's taken me like my entire life to figure out where I fit in properly, which is, I love spreadsheets. I was doing spreadsheets down and back in high school, I was teaching accountants how to go from paper to electronic on spreadsheets. Everything in my life is a spreadsheet. So I finally figured out where my skills came together with what I enjoyed doing with what the market wanted and what the market was willing to pay for. And when all of those things finally clicked, it was, was like, hey, here we are, this works. And, and in the meantime, things went bad at work like they always do. And so I'm like, screw you, I'm out of here. I've got a runway and it's time for me to go build the next part of my life. And I don't want to do it the way I was doing it. I, you know, this isn't exciting me anymore. I'm, you know, it's boring and dull and I got to get out of here. I got to go do something that, I truly enjoy. And I'm walking out, like I, originally my goal was retirement, you know, just go live at the beach, have money and be done. And while I could have done that, I realized I would not be fulfilled. I wouldn't be happy. And so this business that I've created is about fulfillment for me, doing what I enjoy, serving people, helping people, um, especially helping people get started. I coached a lot while my kids were in school. So you know, that was the best thing about coaching soccer. When you can teach a kid and he gets his first goal, his whole life changes, right? All of a sudden you see opportunity and, and you get so much success. It's the same thing for a business owner. You get that first sale and someone's willing to hand you money for your services or whatever it is that you're willing to do. It just, it just sets off a level of excitement that I think it just sparks you and gets you going. So this has been my last pivot. We'll see how it goes. And I, I'm, I'm just enjoying it and having a lot of fun. I love it. We're talking with Rocky Lalvani on the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. And you talked about business and numbers. And I don't know if we, we can hammer this home enough, but, uh, but we'll be gentle to the people listening. If you don't know your numbers, your business cannot flourish. You can have periods of great growth if you're a great salesperson, but it cannot flourish as a business unless you know your numbers. And because there are numbers that are going up and you want to know, is that good or is that bad, right? Uh, and, and how do you manage that? So in working with the people you work with today and doing what you do and, and, and the profit comes first mantra, you're certified, a certified uh, profit comes first trainer. You've done a lot of education on what this means. Tell us what does that actually mean to you and how does it translate to your clients? So the, the title of this show is Lessons Entrepreneurs Can't Learn in School. Yep. 
We are all taught a formula in school. It's generally accepted accounting principles. And that formula that each and every one of you has heard over and over again is sales minus expenses equal profit. Where does profit come in that equation? It comes last. It's a leftover. If, if you've been in business, you know, you'll find out what your profit is at the end of the year when your accountant does your tax return and he says, you know, here's your K-1 or here's your, your P&L. You made a profit this year. And then you ask him, well, where is that money? Where is my profit? And he just laughs at you and says, well, it's just a, it's a paper number. You spent it. It doesn't <laughs> actually exist. And this is what we're taught in business school. I have an MBA. This is how I was taught. It's the wrong formula. And part of my learning in that journey was when I, when I read Profit First from Mike Michalowicz and learning, hey, this is the way business owners are thinking and it's wrong because it's not going to make you profitable. So he flipped the formula and the new formula is sales minus profit equals expenses. So now profit comes first and you pay yourself first. You, you take your profits out first. So that's what I did when I was a kid running a business. You know, I'm pulling my profits out of the business. When I got a job, I immediately started setting up plans to pull profit and savings out of my, my income and putting it aside. It's the same. These principles are age old. They work no matter whether you're in a job or you're an entrepreneur. Take your profit first Take your paycheck first. Most business owners don't pay themselves appropriately. But if you take your money first, then you can say, all right, what's left is expenses. And now you can focus on cutting expenses. Because I think too often business owners look at their bank account. I have money. I don't have money. If they have money, they're like, I have to reinvest in my business. So I'm just going to spend this. And they don't do it intentionally. But when you take your profit first, when you take out for taxes first, when you pay yourself first, you're essentially looking at a smaller amount of money. And so you can be more focused on spending appropriately. And that's basically the, the, the reasons behind the system and why it works so well. It sounds so simple and yet people won't do it. And that's the problem. And I've got, I've got two questions and, and I, 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 thanks for laying that out the way that you did. You really, um, positioned it uh, perfectly for me to ask the two questions that I want. So thanks for doing that. One question is um, on expenses, right? Cutting expenses or managing expenses is something that big corporations, big and small, go through during difficult times, right? There's a few companies that are, that are really good at all the time, but most manage their expenses during tough times. And now, uh, as we record this, there's a lot of companies that have to think about layoffs, they have to think about furloughs, they have to think about how do we cut our expenses so we can keep our employees. But you just mentioned that you can use your, spend your money effectively, right? Talk about the mindset difference of what that really means. Because some people will, they don't really look at the electric bill or they don't look at their in, even interest on, on loans or credit cards, other than to think if it's a high rate or a low rate, they don't look at the numbers. What's the mindset change that people have to go through when they, when they work with you? Because I'm sure it's big. It is. I think so. One of the things is it's really hard to change our habits, right? 
we, we do things and, and trying to change is hard. So why not leverage the habits that you have currently? One of the underlying principles of this entire system is Parkinson's law. And Parkinson's law just states that whatever the amount of a resource you have for a particular project, you will use it. So in other words, if I come to you and say, I have this project and I have $50,000 to spend on it, you'll spend $50,000. But if I come to you with that same project and say, I need to get this project done and I have $10,000 to spend on it, you'll be creative and you'll find a way to get it done for $10,000 in the same way, right? Someone comes to you and says, I need this report. Well, when do you need it by? The end of the month. You'll get it done by the end of the month. They come to you and say, I need this report. When do you need it? Yesterday. You'll get it done in an hour, right? Because that's the, the principle you've been told to hold to. And that's the principle we do with our money. It's the same thing. You know, if you go into a restaurant and you've got a big plate, you'll fill the big plate and eat it. If you go in and you've got a small plate and you take less food, you know, you'll still fill your plate, but you'll end up eating less because you've got a smaller serving bowl. And the system is designed so that when you look at your bank account, which is what most business owners do, there's less resources there. So you become more creative. You're leveraging your habit. You're not changing it. Business owners can find ways to be creative. You start questioning everything when you see a smaller number in your bank account. And the reason the number is smaller is because we've already taken out for our profit, we've taken out for our pay, and we've taken out for the, what the government wants, which is taxes. And so it's just that, that small mental mind shift of looking at a smaller bank account that forces you to figure out a better way to do this. And the, the companies that you work with, because if you get a business owner on board, right, they, they get it. And I think there's a lot of people who are like, oh, that makes sense. The, the idea of essentially shortening your budget or making your budget smaller, even though you have more money and figuring out the way makes perfect sense. And I think we're all probably just had aha moments of our own lives and, and how we spend. But larger companies are going to have somebody who is the visionary, somebody who does the strategy, but then you've got somebody else who controls the purse strings, right? You've got that controller, you've got that CFO. When you come in and you're, you're talking to the business owner and they're like, this is great, but now you've got a CFO who controls the purse strings who you might be in competition with a little bit, I would say. How do you, how do you manage the different dynamics or do you have to, or is it, is it a, natural, a natural flow? So here's what happens. If you are a large corporation, you have a CFO. There is somebody sitting there, right? That guy who's looking at the reports constantly saying no, no, no to everything until somebody forces him to say, <laughs> yes, you can spend money. But when you're a small business owner, where's the CFO? You don't have a CFO. That, that spot is empty in your business. Sure, you've got an accountant, but he's focused on taxes. You've got a bookkeeper, but they're putting transactions in. They're in the weeds. There's nobody sitting in that seat. The seat is empty. And the reality is, is if you're a small business, you know, even if you're a half a million dollar business, you can't afford to pay a six-figure salary to put a CFO in that seat. But that's where I come in because I ver work virtually and fractionally, which basically means you only need me for two or three hours a month. Instead of paying for somebody to be there full time, you're literally paying for the services for a couple hours a month of 
getting that high level CFO service. So the seat is empty in most businesses. And that's why most businesses struggle so much is because the visionary is great at being the visionary and you've, he's out doing the things he loves to do, but he's not looking at the numbers because looking at the numbers gives him anxiety. He doesn't want to do it. He's, it's not the place that he or she wants to be. And so it's missing. It's a missing piece of the puzzle. And that's why I think so many businesses struggle. No, and I think that's an important, a really important thing for people to learn that, that you, you exist both literally and figuratively, right? The bigger you and, and the personal you, because sometimes even if there is a CFO or a controller in seat, the seat is still empty for what the, benefit, the, the business really needs. And that's where you can come in and you can uh, go to profitcomesfirst.com and you can find more about Rocky and his story and what he does for businesses. And as we wrap up, I've got one question left and it really relates to what a person business owner can do now. They're listening and they're like, Rocky, this makes a lot of sense, but I'm, whether we're in the middle of, of the Corona crisis or we're coming out of it, or we're two years down the road and, and hopefully everything is normal and we're flourishing again, their eyes focused on something else. What do they do now? How do they prepare to implement your system, to bring in someone like you so it doesn't overwhelm their business? So I think that's a, the first question is, is, are you doing it yourself? And if you're not, then put somebody in the seat, whether it's me or someone else. There's tons of profit first professionals out there. If you want to learn more, if you come by to Profit Comes First, you know, down at the bottom, you can get Mike's book. I'll give you the first two chapters for free. If you just want to have a short conversation and just ask questions, just you can book a, a, an intro appointment. I will not sell you. I said, I do this because I love it. And I, I don't want to sell people that you have to work with me. I'd rather just give you information and let you kind of get started. And part of that is because I don't want to have to drag you up the mountain. You know, I want people who want to do this to work with you and get over the struggles. But if you don't do any of that, just look at your bank accounts or look at your spending right now, look at your credit cards and your checking account. And if you just spend a couple minutes looking at it, I bet you, you could knock 10% off your, your spending just because you forgot you're paying for stuff that you no longer use, or there's things that you might be able to call somebody and get a discount on. It happens all the time. You'd be shocked at how much we spend without thinking. And if you just put a little bit of attention on it, you get tremendous results. I appreciate that. And if you go to Rocky's website, it does say right at the top that he'd do this for free. Um, even if he, if, even if he didn't get paid, he'd do this for free, I think is, is the quote that he has on there. So he's not kidding. He does love to serve. He loves what he's doing. He loves helping businesses. Rocky, thanks for being here. Uh, really informative, just on a different way of thinking and really going to be helpful to a lot of the business owners and entrepreneurs out there. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Adam, for having me on today. You're very welcome. And thanks everyone for listening to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's MBA podcast. You've been listening to the Entrepreneur's MBA. Download Adam's free book, How to Make More Money in Your Business at www.freebookfromadam.com. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.